0: Bienvenido. Welcome to the A-Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more.
1: Now in the most recent issue of A-Fire Summit, uh, there was a piece by Jim O'Shaughnessy, a managing director and hotel group leader at Barings Real Estate. He, he wrote in his article that he called Time to Check In. I think that's a fantastic title, um, that the time to invest in hotels is when they look bleak. And this appears to be one of those times. And, 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 and certainly with borders uh, restricted and 140 million people infected and 3 million plus people dead, that is probably an understatement uh, in terms of the times we are facing. But there are opportunities and there are ways to think about hospitality at this time that I think is very important for us all to look at and consider. And Jim joins us today to help understand that and, and see a bit of the, the risks and the opportunities that checking into the hotel market represent. So thank you, Jim, uh, for joining me on the A Fire podcast. Thank
0: you, Gunnar. Uh, pleasure to be with you.
1: So um, retail um, and hotels are put in the same category, right? So every time I talk to uh an investor an institutional investor or every time we do surveys those two are kind of put in the same bucket but i get the sense that they're not the same nor are they behaving the same as we pull out of this can you give kind of a picture for why that is the case what the differences are and and how we should approach them
0: sure gunnar i'd be happy to well i think the first thing to understand and you provided a little bit of context is just how hard hit the hospitality market, at least in the United States, has been. Uh, 50% uh, decline in RevPar um, during the 2020 year, uh, compared to the previous year in upper upscale hotels that many folks travel to, like Marriott's and Hilton's, over a 60% decline. So certainly those top line revenue declines uh, engendered very difficult bottom line performances, net negative cash flow. So the question is a good one. What, what, what makes hotels now uh, have maybe a different um, potential than, than retail? And I would really point to the, the fundamentals uh, behind the hospitality industry. Going into COVID, um, we had an increasing wallet share going to lodging. Uh, among key cohorts like the millennial cohort that really believed that experiential um, purchase as opposed to material purchases were something that was valued. So the idea of traveling, um, meeting people, seeing new um, sites, experiencing different cultures and cuisines all drove along with a rise of the global middle class and an increase in air travel a rising tide to hotel usage, therefore hotel occupancy and hotel performance. And we believe that while it's important to carefully understand hotel by hotel, how that recovery will happen, those trends, those fundamentals are still in place and ready for recovery.
1: Which I think is fascinating when you think about that growth and where it's going, but at the same time, there's been a lot of discussion uh, across AFIRE around the emergence over the last 10 years of alternatives to hotels and the younger generation's proclivity towards an Airbnb option versus, or I assume there'll be more of those kinds of options going forward versus a hotel. How is that eating into the business or, or is it? Is, is, is there room for both?
0: I believe strongly there's room for both. You, ha- you do see some of the larger uh, global chains, Marriott is an example, edging into, um, easing into some form of uh, home vacation rental. We still see with the 2019 results, again, going back to pre-COVID, that REVPAR, Revenue Per Available Room, basically the the best proxy for top-line revenues uh, in U.S. hotels, was at an all-time high. So notwithstanding supply increases organically within the hotel, Um, industry and the addition of lots of inventory from Airbnb, VRBO, and the like, it appears that this structural, um, call it a a tailwind, around increased travel is rising all boats, and basically that more people are traveling. It makes sense to me that in certain formats, large family reunions, pure leisure destinations that are quite remote one might choose for example you know vacation rental over a hotel for, for all sorts of reasons
1: as this so we have this interruption obviously in terms of numbers and everything else and uh behaviors do you anticipate seeing any changes in 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 these kind of millennial generation z uh, going forward or, or not, and what do you think it looks like as we, uh, you're already seeing s- certainly some more uh, kind of a, a leisure travel taking place uh, when people feel safer, but um, how do you see that playing out going over the next year or two?
0: Well, I think in such a severe demand shock um, and the reality of these lower occupancies at hotels all across the United States, we really look to a four to five-year recovery curve. I mean, it really is that long. And you know, for some investors, um, that might sound um, daunting. For other investors, that's exciting because that means that there is dis- real dislocation and therefore real opportunity. And I think the answer to your question really lies hotel by hotel, market by market, as to the composition of demand of these different markets and hotels. As you said, leisure recovering first, we've already seen that in areas like South Florida, uh, in Arizona, in the California coastal areas where as early as last summer, there was a recovery even before we had vaccinations. And we've seen in some cases, in one example in our portfolio, um, uh, basically a South Florida hotel that is at higher transient leisure demand, so that's individual leisure travelers, than they were in 2019, which is quite remarkable. So pent-up demand there. Then it gets more tricky, because as we go to business transient, so individual business travelers, business group, we've ascribed different recovery patterns to those um, different segments nationally, and then we drill down to the particular market and try to understand the demand supply fundamentals and, and really track whether that recovery to pre-COVID performance is in 2023, 2024, or 2025. That appears to us to be the range as of right now.
1: And I, I found the the charts that you included with your article to be really helpful in understanding what that looks like. Um, it's, it's not an easy picture uh, to work through. Um, well, that being said, you know you talked about different kinds of business travelers—the transient traveler versus, say, uh, organizations or large groups. Uh, I, I happen to be part of a large group here that that uses a lot of hotel, <laughs> uses a lot of, and we are making efforts to figure out when our first uh, physical meeting happens once again. And, and, and frankly, it's difficult to predict. Uh, there, there's a lot of different metrics you can go by, but all those metrics are changing, and perhaps constantly. Uh, One of the concerns that I have when I think about our world of associations and association business is as hungry as people are, there is pent up demand, to come together to be part of these meetings, and it's really, really important. Will the demand be as strong after we're done with this as it was before? Are people considering that differently? As you look at that kind of business, because business associations are certainly a big consumer of business uh, hospitality. I mean, have you had any thought or discussion around how that might evolve or are we really snapping back by 24, 25, and then we're all kind of off to the races?
0: I would say that by by 2024, we still have, just to take kind of closer to the outside of that range, convention demand, for example, below 100% of the pre-COVID demand for some of the reasons you've described. There may be some um, segments of the population that just are inherently less uh, comfortable with with travel in a post-pandemic world, but that's really also countered by organic growth. I mean, we have population growth, we have business formation, we have association membership growth. And so we think that those countervailing Growth trends help to restore almost all these segments of demand by 2025 to a pre-pandemic level. One of the things that's very interesting right now is that the the highest um, RFP or request for proposal volume uh, in the hotel industry since before the um, pandemic began occurred in March, and I guess that's not surprising because we see increasing vaccinations. So in the top of the funnel if you will as our folks in the hotels call their you know sales process more and more rfps are coming in most of those right now for 2022 and 2023 so we do believe that that growth is occurring at the same time that demand uh is at about 40 percent of pre-covid uh in 2021 but about 60% of pre-COVID to 2022. So I think when we start to look at some of these metrics, we really see that curve um, on the upswing steadily over time, and we believe that will continue.
1: Well, I, I, you've certainly given me some hope. That's wonderful. Um, I, I want to see lots of association activity um, going forward. That's purely selfish, though. It really has nothing to do with anything. Um, a, a lot of uh, members have talked about Waiting for distress, and they've talked about that over the last you know year and a half uh, in all asset classes, in different kinds of asset classes, and aren't seeing it yet. Um, but everyone was certain that hospitality was the one area that you know you were going to be able to make some intelligent purchases, do some workarounds and reworks, et cetera, with what was there. That doesn't seem to have surfaced, at least not at volume. Uh, do you think that might be around the corner or do you think that's uh, truly something that we're working it through and that the owners are strong enough to be able to work it through?
0: Well, I think, you know, distress is a, um, probably in our industry an overused word and, and it's in the eye of the beholder. I don't, I don't believe that there is a tremendous amount of true distress because of some of the, um, actually, cooperation that's occurred between lenders and and borrowers, for example, um, to get through what was on both sides, you know, acknowledged as an unforeseen event. However, I do believe that the reality of this cash flow uh, drain has tested um, many owners that are uh, in funds that perhaps have shorter duration, um, might have some liquidity constraints, and has caused them to maybe just make the simple uh, estimation that given the capital that might be needed to refresh the hotel and this long arc of recovery we're talking about, that they'd rather exit now. Perhaps even, by the way, retaining some equity or gaining equity versus when they purchase the asset. So. Is that distress? Perhaps not, but for an investor coming in, it can still be a very interesting basis when compared to the 2019 results of these hotels, and underwritten in a way that makes for, I would say, interesting risk-adjusted returns. This isn't always the highest octane um, uh, investment, but these can be very interesting investments that provide a risk adjusted premium over some other asset classes.
1: That's an excellent point. I I often think our industry is uh, infected with a memory of the RTC back in the nineties and making a killing and everyone's waiting for that moment again. And it it, it hasn't, either it arrives and is over very, very quickly, or uh, it doesn't arrive at all. And I think uh, that's probably an indicator of health uh, more than an indicator of a problem. Uh, for us going forward, so that, that, that's great. I, I wonder, I mean, it, the operators, uh, the, the, the flags, the folks that are actually doing this, how are they holding up as the demands on them have, have certainly increased exponentially?
0: Well, most of the large management companies that are publicly traded, you know, Marriott, for example, and, and they're like, acted quite decisively. And unfortunately for many of their uh, staff, that meant furloughs at the operating hotel level, at the corporate level, and then eventually permanent layoffs. So for better or for worse, like in many areas of our economy, I think these operators have emerged uh, leaner um, and more cost efficient. And I think more than that, looking forward, they're going to be cautious about how and when they add back especially labor cost, at, again, both at the hotel level and at the corporate level. And I think that's healthy, that's prudent. Um, they've learned some things from how to operate these hotels more efficiently, cross utilization of staff, modifications of certain um, service offerings, the elimination of less some less profitable offerings. I think you'll see more of that. You know, a hotel that offered room service because it was ni- nice to have. But when the rubber hit the road and that hotel really had to understand was that uh, accretive, was it cash flow positive as a department? And the answer was no, and it was eliminated, it might not come back. So I think there are decisions like that that were made that won't be undone, um, maybe at all or very quickly.
1: When you look at the uh, industry right now, what are the what, what, what's the risk that you're most concerned about or risks? What are the things that you're, you're concerned about not going the right way or things that investors should be particularly careful or cognizant of as they engage?
0: Right, so I think there's certainly international travel is, um, is not something I've really focused on. We've talked about the return of these different segments. So I think international gateway cities New York would be, you know, the the one that comes to mind immediately. A little bit less certainty there, and certainly more risk. You know, we're seeing, you know, in Brazil or in India, you know, really these these very difficult um, uh, patterns to the COVID virus. And when and if international inbound travel comes back to pre-COVID, I don't know. So those markets, I think, inherently offer more risk. Um, I would also say that um, more so than ever, understanding just basic real estate fundamentals of supply and demand, um, and specific location and and specific submarket are really going to come to the fore. Because if you get the overall recovery right, but you're in a slightly less optimal specific location or submarket, or you fail to incorporate. Um, the understanding of new supply, the penalties are bigger because the margin for error here is narrower.
1: Mm. No, That makes a lot of sense. What are you most optimistic about?
0: Uh, Our collective short memory. You mentioned in real estate, we have a long memory about the RTC. I agree, (laughs) but there were many people um, as we went through and emerged from the GFC, the great financial crisis, that strongly predicted that business travel, especially high-end group travel, would never reach pre-GFC levels for lots of reasons, but the AIG effect of kind of some image concerns about having people eating and drinking in fancy hotels. Well, that recovery happened early after the GFC and then we went well beyond it. And that could be good or bad, but it's a fact that I think we have Somewhat of a of a short memory, um, or maybe an overreaction is a better way to look at that. When we look in the rearview mirror as to what has just happened and how it might affect our future performance, I think people enjoy traveling, they enjoy being with other people and interacting, as you mentioned with your association work, and I believe those activities will will resume um, and uh, and happen again, and that's why I'm. Optimistic about the segment.
1: That's wonderful to hear, and and uh, you know I I I hope that means that we can all anticipate happy travels uh, for a lot of people uh, going forward. We've actually run out of time uh, here, Jim. Thank you for giving a little bit of a picture. I encourage everyone to read his article uh, in the uh, most recent Summit Journal. Uh, It's it's certainly worth checking out, even though it's about checking in. It was it was. It was not a good idea to say that. Anyway, uh, I wanna also encourage everyone who's listening to subscribe to this podcast and there's several different services that you can do that with. Uh, Apple, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn and SoundCloud. On any one of those services, you can basically say, sign me up for the Fire podcast, and you'll get it delivered to your smartphone uh, You know, every time we release, which is a couple of times a week. So you definitely want to hear it, especially if you liked hearing Jim. There's a lot more um, where that came from among uh, members across A-Fire and some experts. So all that being said, I want to thank you, Jim, uh, for being our guest on the AFIRE podcast.
0: It was a pleasure, Gunner. Thank you for your time. Please visit afire.org slash podcast.